0: Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at ryanroxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. Ah, uh, what is happening, folks? To say that this week hasn't been busy would be the understatement of the year. This has been probably the busiest week in the RGA uh, sort of world that I can remember since way, way, way back, be- even before the pandemic. Wouldn't you say, Vic? Something like that. But uh, yeah, we've been working. We've been busy little beavers, you know. Uh, what have we been doing? We released the uh, Christmas song, my uh, first Christmas Christmas cover I've ever recorded. And our guest today actually has a a Christmas song recorded as well. But he did the smart thing. He recorded it years ago and then just releases it every single year. But see, I can do that from now on. It just was up to the recording part. But all of you, RGA, have been uh, really supportive in it all week, all month. I appreciate it. You're in the video. I'll talk more about it later. But you know what? It's in the trenches time. It's time to dive in. And what can I say? This week, we have the last of the OGs, original gangster and original members of the Alice Cooper group. I've interviewed them all, but not this guy. And I've wanted to get him in for a long time. The last of the OGs, original original Alice Cooper group. So this is just icing on the Merry Christmas cupcake. So, and in many ways, this is our Christmas special because next week we're going to be taking the week off. So let's treat it like it's our Christmas special and what a guest I have for that. You ready to do it? He's been... Am I ready to do it? Let me get my tongue ready to go. If you are listening to us on one of the audio broadcasts, thank you very much for doing that, Spotify or... Apple Podcasts, thank you very much, but we really want you in the trenches, in the live chat, right there at our YouTube official channel. That's Ryan Roxy Official on YouTube. Everybody in the chat already knows what I'm talking about. Thank you guys for showing in. Week in and week out, you show up every single week. So let's do this. Our guest today has been described as what it would be like if an octopus played drums. Would you please welcome original Alice Cooper drummer, Neil Smith. Hello, Neil.
1: Hey Ryan, it's been a great interview, man. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you later. You gotta
0: go. You gotta go. I know your time is limited. I was, you know what? That was a long ass introduction.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm awake now. Don't worry. (laughs)
0: neil smith i wanted to get you on you know were you just waiting to be courted last is that what it was because i believe i had uh well alice has been on he's peppered himself on throughout the uh the last couple years he's he's done bits and pieces here but you know i had michael on um unfortunately we couldn't get glenn on but uh, you know dennis dunaway is kind of like he lives there he lives in the chat you know he lives in the uh the live chat that we have and we love him for that. But, uh, Neil, and even your sister who is Dennis's wife, Cindy yep. has, she's, uh, she's been known to pop in on the live chat as well. But finally we get, well, you. they like,
1: they like people a lot more than I do. <laughs> what, have you been, oh, yeah,
0: yeah. what have you been doing, Neil? Have you been growing your hair? Cause the first time I saw you, I was like going, what the, it gets longer and longer every time I see it and better and better. You know what I'm saying? Well,
1: all I've been doing is writing music, recording music, and growing my hair
0: since the damn
1: pandemic started. You've so, been conditioning, uh,
0: man. You've been conditioning you know, well. That's about it. Yeah. Well, writing, recording, those are all things that, that uh, pretty much encompass your world and have encompassed your world uh, since the beginning. And I'm going to go back to get forward to find out about that world. So, Vic, let's hit it. Let's go back to get forward. <laughs> The sound of motorcycles should not, uh, af- make you afraid or it should sound familiar. Do you ever own a motorcycle, Neil? Uh, I had a,
1: uh, we we're talking a little while ago about, um, my high school band, the laser beats. I had a, uh, the, the saxophone player, um, in the band, we were a surf band. There it is right there. Wow. Look at we'll Nick right, right on Roger, top of it. Yeah. Roger Ike. He, uh. He, he had a motorcycle back when the band was together. We were on Black Canyon Highway uh, in Phoenix, and he gave me a ride one time uh, when, he, when he got the bike. He ended up being a Green Beret in Vietnam. He was one crazy motherfucker, and I loved him. He was like my best friend there. He and Skip, the, the guitar player from the band, Laser Beats, and uh, he had me on Black Canyon Highway. I'm holding on to him. He went over 100 miles an hour on the bike, and I was... I've never been so scared in my life. No, you were holding on tight. And, uh, so I I love bikes. I love them They're I mean, the coolest thing in the world. And I and I play drums. I have my hands going. I have my feet going. But I cannot figure out the timing to change gears and to drive a motorcycle. One so time I almost bought one so I could just put it in my living room. It was a nineteen fifty-five bike. It looked like it was right out of a James James <laughs> Dean movie. It was unbelievable, all the, the fringe uh, you know, bike bags and everything on there. Very cool. I, I I saw it in um, uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I, I said, "Man, that would look so cool in my living room." But I didn't do it. But that. But I uh, I love bikes. But um, and I've written songs about them. Yeah. But I I I've never ridden one successfully. The only two scars I have on my on my body are from uh, riding a bike.
0: Really? Uh, Well, you know what the good news is? I think the family's happier that uh, a coffee table uh, replaced the bike or didn't, you know, there wasn't a motorcycle (laughs) as your centerpiece. It would be hard to watch TV and stuff like that. But you mentioned laser beats. I'm going to go back even before that because I did not know this until we start doing our crack research. It's not like we're on crack when we do the research, Um, but we have a crack research team. Thank you, Federica. Thank you, uh, Vic, for helping out with the script this week. And I I dived into as well, but I found out, because I always assumed that, you know, the band, the the Alice Cooper group, and we'll talk about all the sort of uh, coming ups of that, but you guys were a Arizona-based band, but even before Arizona, you and your sister Cindy, you're actually Ohio people, right? You we know, were a couple of Buckeyes, yes. I love it. I love it. Could that explain why Alice does so well to this day in Ohio, all of the the uh, surrounding cities.
1: Well, I, I think a, a lot of that uh, comes from the fact that Glenn Buxton was also from Akron, and when we met at Glendale Community College in uh, in in Phoenix, uh, we became instant friends because of that. We had you know by that time we we're in college, and uh, you know both of our hair we, we have were bl- blonde, and and we were buddies, and we you know it's like. You meet somebody on you go on vacation. You meet somebody and you talk to them, and you find out they're from your hometown. I mean, you become instantly bonded. There's a connection there that is is really strong, and everything that he knew about, he couldn't talk to people in Arizona about. I knew about and vice versa. So we became very good friends, and uh, I think that was you know one of the one of the things that ultimately uh, you know. Helped me get in the band. Not help me, but I mean, it, you know, was was just a familiarity between between us. But um, but I think the, the fact that Alice is from Detroit, Glenn and I are both from. I mean, we're Rust Belt boys. Right. And and there's a certain mentality that if you're from the West Coast or even the East Coast, it's still not the same as is in the mid upper Midwest in that area. And I think when. The band moved from Phoenix to Los Angeles to the Detroit area. We really were able to express that we were inspired by that with the MC5, the Stooges, the Amboy Dukes, all the all the big heavy bands. Uh, right, we've we've talked about said. that
0: Detroit scene. That obviously Alice Cooper was a powerhouse. Iggy yeah, and the exactly Stooges awesome. as well. But I'm just saying that that was in our blood already. Well, you and know what's think- in your blood is Akron because I didn't. I mean, I've known for years, uh, you know, I played with a guy named Gilby Clark. He's from Cleveland, but we used to play, and Akron's not that far away. It's about an hour, a half drive or something like that. Not even an hour, I don't yeah. think, yeah. But think about the bands that have come, you've come out of Akron, but but also the Pretenders came out of Akron, right? Akron? And, yeah.
1: uh, Devo. Joe Walsh. Is
0: somebody, they, Joe the, Walsh. Uh, De- Devo. Which, I mean, yep. you can say what you want about them, but I kick ass band to me, you know, they and, and oh, definitely yeah. oh, made their great. mark. They
1: were very original and they, uh, you
0: know, they, they, they found a huge audience. It's terrific. What's in the water in Akron? We shall find out. We rubber, shall- <laughs> have car parts, burnt,
1: burnt rubber. <laughs> I was, that's why I, I, I mean, people talk about pollution and, and that sort of thing. And I go, I every time there was a fresh snowfall, in, uh, where I lived in, in Accra, within a few days there would be black suit all over the not even a few days few hours there would be black suit all over the uh, all over the snow so I didn't really enjoy uh, white snow until I went out in the country where they you know the rubber t- tire factories were
0: I was gonna so mention too. this thing because uh, may- maybe your immune system is completely so high now because you you know you just basically <laughs> drank <laughs> you drank uh uh, mechanical uh, machinery, water, and uh, but the thing is, this was before vaccines, and I know I don't know if this is fact or fiction because I know I'm going a little too early on that Vic for this uh, for this segment, but uh, there was a rumor that because this was before even the uh, the polio vaccine. Yeah that you and your sister both had polio growing up. Is that true?
1: Before? Yes, we did. We had it was before grade school. Even we were still little, we were still little, uh, rug rats. And, um, I'm 18 months older than she is. And, uh, I, I got, um, we both got polio. This was in the very early fifties before the salt vaccine was, um, discovered and invented, however you want to say it. And, uh, I was in the hospital. I had the bulbar, which was in the throat and in the lungs, and that's what was getting the, the, the kids in the in the iron lungs to help them breathe when they had this kind of polio. My sister had it in her legs, and she was she was in the house. We were in the hospital at the same time, and it was a very moving uh, – I've been writing a book for 100 years. And then I do mention one of the most poignant uh, times in the hospital was when they did – uh, put my sister in a wheelchair, and they rolled her over to the room that I was in. Of course, quarantine was huge uh, because it was spread by germs, by touch. So
0: you've been to this movie before. What well, we've lived in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, that's
1: why That's why I, when people talk to me about vaccines, I'm ready to go, go fuck yourself. I had to deal with that, and I knew about it, all of that stuff. And from then on, when I was a kid and my mom, well, let me just tell you, first of all, I was supposed to die. Because everybody, you know, most of most of the kids that had the the, the ball bar polio uh, didn't make it, and and the, and then I was supposed to die, and my sister was supposed to never be able to walk properly again. So, um, crazy thing about the ball bar polio is that all of a sudden you can wake up one morning in the hospital, as the children did in those days, and it would be totally gone from your body. You were 100 percent cured. For no reason, I still to this day don't know why or how that was, uh, it how happened with that type of polio, but it did. Of course, my mother thought it was a miracle. She was always very religious oh, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. anyway. And uh, so, she, you know, she's sitting there. Her son's supposed to die and her little daughter's supposed to be crippled the rest of her life. And um, so I, I'm not a good person to get into a Freaking argument about, about vaccines, vaccines at, all. at all? Was there because pushback?
0: If, do you re, do you think there was this amount of pushback on the vaccine? No, no. Not not. You with, see the kid,
1: you know that's like that's like Sandy Hook here in in uh, Connecticut where the the gunman went in with the uh, the AR fifteen and yeah. killed those twenty little kids. You know once you're talking about kids, it's a whole different thing, and that's why I can't believe that that's never been significant in changing. You know sensible. Uh, gun laws. And I'm a big gun fan. I probably have a bigger arsenal than than most people in this country. But, you know, safety is first, whether it's, uh, it's because it's all about health, it's all about staying safe. And whether it's a vaccine or it's, you know, uh, shooting in public places, I mean, it, it, it comes down to the same thing, people being injured or people dying. And so when the SALT vaccine was was uh, uh invented and I, I was in grade school by then you know first second third grade um they it came out in two forms it was a was a shot and it was also a sugar cube if a lot of people remember that and and i n- no questions asked or anything you know you know what's this going to do it's going to stop me from getting the disease that's what it was going to do and i already had it and and polio is a disease that you can get i guess you know once you're exposed to it.
0: No Maybe what. if they gave the vaccine on a sugar cube, that would change everything right now in 2020. Well, you have, to remember, that
1: the, you have to remember that the the syringes back in the 50s are something now you
0: use for livestock. This oh, dude. It was a dude.
1: big freaking needle, yeah. man. Yeah, it was a Hurt like hell.
0: They (laughs) still have those same syringes to shoot B12 shots in uh, Italy. And why do I know that? Because I got a B12 shot just a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm used to these, you know, if you get a B12 shot, you get this little energy inner boost and you're ready to go. No, this was some old school thing where they had to mix up and, and the doctor says, are you sure you want a B twelve shot? And I was like, No, of course I've had them, I've had a ton of them in in the states. No, apparently not. So so I could actually, yeah, those those big syringes are, are quite painful. But you survived yeah,
1: go ahead, that. Go ahead, I said. They, you know, they did the same thing when we were in Brazil. They had those B twelve shots, but mm. but uh, but that was a big difference. So I've had all the vaccinations now: the the Pfizer and the and the the vaccines and the booster, and that shot is pussy wimp compared to what it was, you know, when I was a kid getting the shot for the polio vaccine. So, um, I, yeah. I, I, I just don't get it. I, I know everybody has a right to do what they want. And I understand that. And I appreciate it. And that's what the United States is all about. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, I never make public service announcements, but when I was a kid, I had the polio. I, for some reason it just went away. And then, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Vaccine was there, so I put that together, and the sugar cube and the and the uh, inoculation, and I and I had both of them at different times. I didn't want them, but I got them because I I had been through it. I had experienced it, in a very deadly strain of the polio as well, and uh, it, it up with, I was fine, and my sister Cindy, she uh, she's fine. She was the dancing tooth billion
0: dollar baby, George. So. There you go. She yeah. she went in for, to never walk, to, 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 to schedule never to walk, to be a dancing yeah. tooth. I love it. Well, yeah. I mean, here's the thing in the trenches, we, we tread on such light subjects. And within the first 15 minutes here with Neil Smith, we've just uh, treaded on the vaccine, uh, gun control, and him uh, surviving fucking polio both neil and and cindy surviving polio you survived drinking um what it was hazardous waste but maybe that helped your immunity uh growing up in akron and then you somehow made it to sunny arizona how was that um that move was that something that was parents said you know we're moving to where the sun is we're going uh jobs is it military what made the move to arizona
1: My mother and father were divorced before I was in grade school. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm trying to get the point across. That when I had polio, my mother was a single mother, a single mother, single working mother with two kids. and They both had freaking polio. So um, <clears throat> I don't want to hear about any women's lib bullshit because my mother was one of the forefront people that she had a family and she was independent a long time ago in the early 50s, way before it was ever uh, popular or political. So um, God bless her for that. She was an amazing woman, June Smith, and, uh, you know, a little country girl from um, Medina, uh, Sharon Center, Ohio. So uh, we – we uh, at that time, it was just Cindy, yeah, my sister, my mom, and myself, and we lived together. Um, I started uh, – I graduated in 65, and second grade, we moved to Akron, Ohio from uh, my uh, – little country town of Sharon center where we lived and uh somewhere along the process, uh I wanted to be a musician. Yeah. How did, and how then, did
0: you get a pair of drumsticks in your hand? And was, were the drumsticks, the first instrument or were there others? Sometimes no, you go through you, a
1: few. If you shut the fuck up a
0: second, <laughs> <laughs> which I <laughs> I'm will. On Kenya,
1: I'm only kidding you brother. You're no, you, you thank you for the segue. Cause it's perfect. It's the only instrument I want to play an instrument. And the only instrument we had in the house, my mother was a, Huge, put the drumsticks away. My mother was a huge Glenn Miller fan. And she played trombone in the marching band in Sharon Center, Ohio. So the only instrument, we I wanted to play drums. And she goes, son, the only instrument we have is a trombone. Anyway, I was in elementary school, maybe fifth or sixth grade. And I took the trombone to school. And I had a German, going back to Germany again here. Mr. Hess was my German music teacher, and um, I probably almost gave him a heart attack every time I went up there to play the trombone because I had no clue. A, tr- a trumpet I can understand because you can hit Three vowels. Can, yeah, yeah, the vowels but a trombone I had no, <laughs> I had no clue what I Trombone's was doing. Trombone's
0: a very subjective instrument. You kind of go where it's like playing slide bass. Where's the fret? I don't know. It's somewhere I it feels right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh the the
1: day that um he almost took his cuz he always had a baton on top of the this was in school, in elementary music class. He always had the baton right on top of the music stand. And, and I think he broke a couple with me. But I, the day that I saw him, his face turned red. He was, all, he was bald. And his forehead was like beads of sweat coming down. He's smacking that. And that's why I told him. I, I said, I can't do this anymore. And I, I quit. And I came back. I borrowed a, feel, a, a field snare drum from my cousin, um, Ed Clapp. And uh, his whole family, they had a 500 acre dairy farm where Cindy and I used to go on all of our summers in, uh, in Ohio. It was um, near Medina, Ohio. Right. And uh, so he loaned me the snare drum. I learned to play on it. I played it for two years um, before I finally got a set of drums in 1961. And getting to why we moved to Arizona, 63, um, summer of 63, my mom had some friends that went to our Lutheran church in Akron, they moved out to Phoenix. My mom went out there to to visit them. And Cindy and I stayed uh, uh, probably on the farm with, uh, with our relatives that I was just talking about. And my mom came back, and she loved it, and she said – The water tastes wanted- better.
0: The water tastes better there. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it doesn't taste like <clears throat> rubber. <laughs> well- Tastes
1: like rattlesnakes to me. Out there. <laughs> That's another story, but we uh, uh, we all decided. My sister, my mom, and I no, nothing to do. She she had a great job in Akron. She just wanted to to change. And by that time, I was really in the music. I was playing in the um, uh, in the marching band. Uh, in uh, I went to Simon Perkins Junior High School and Boto High School in Akron. Yep, and was in the marching band. I was in an orchestra, and I had. Um, joined a couple of like rock combos you know in the early 60s Yeah. and uh, so i uh, i i was already on my way and i liked what i was doing and i said you know if i if i were ever serious about music i got to be closer to the west coast or closer to the east coast and phoenix sounded like a
0: great deal so there's one of those uh, combos and, and
1: there's the night riders the predecessors to the laser beats
0: i love it uh, it's before you that guys that had was, enough money to buy the surfboard but yeah, look, right. but, but that, going, was that was my surfboard, too. <laughs> well, where do you surf in friggin' Arizona? But that's another story. San Diego,
1: that's where you surf.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you this. When you, when you were in uh, playing in the marching band, because I played drums in the marching band, I had to work my way up to the snare line. Um, I, I started out on, they gave me the most uncomfortable position, you know, marching timpani. At first, and then it was. Then you know, I moved up from I think wood block. Wait, wait,
1: we'll slow back the truck up a minute. You actually had a timpani when you.
0: I had a timpani drum. Not. I swear to God, they do. They have those, and it was great for like doing Odyssey two thousand, bum 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 bum, oh, yeah. two thousand one or whatever. But that was it, it or or a roll, a timpani roll is always really good, at least once in every sort of marching band routine. But where, did where, did you did you go rock star right to the uh, snare line, or did you have your building blocks up there?
1: No, I had mentioned before I had my cousin's snare drum, field snare drum, right. that I had worked on, learned all the rudiments, took private lessons in school. So you jumped right in lessons. to the front line, to the, to the drum line. I only ever played snare drum for two years solid, and everything I did in orchestra and band was with the snare drum. So I never, and I, you know, I read music and everything then, and I, uh, it wasn't even a question. Um, when I joined the band and orchestra, it was snare drum. I never played bass drum. Uh, I didn't march with timpanies like um, that. Was the geeky thing
0: to do? <laughs> it really was. Did you, did you, did you, I hope they at least gave you a wagon to, to pull look, it on or push it on. I had I had to wear a hat that looked kind of like your hair, but all put up in a big, uh, you know. Yeah, sort, know. Well, a, that's a the Q-tip. that's the marching band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the marching band. I had, hat. I, had
1: this, I had the same. I had the same thing. I
0: I, I think I have one picture somewhere, maybe. We well, look like of, Q-tips. Uh, uh, Vic, can you put that picture up right now? Vic, our producer. What's he doing? He doesn't have that picture? Really? Really, Vic? No. Um, I didn't have an I didn't have an idea that we go to talking about marching bands after such hot topic issues as women's lib, gun control, and vaccines. So we've covered them all, I think. I think the fourth I think the the most hot topic, hot button issue would be marching band as well. <laughs> Done it. Now let me ask you a question This uh, German uh, This German teacher that you had uh, Mr. Hess. That, that you drove crazy Mr. Hess Did you uh, did you realize that years later You'd be driving um, a, a different type of Sort of conductor I, I would say producer Bob Ezrin just as crazy With that same sort of attitude Or how did it go Or did no, you ever drive we, Bob Ezrin crazy I don't know um, Bob was
1: the baby of the band I mean, he was, you know, was a couple of years younger than us. Um, but we, we just, you know, messed perfectly when we all got together. And no uh, there, it, it was like the band because people said, oh, man, you guys lived under the same roof for seven years. I said, yeah, we did. I said, it was the party that never ended. They said, well, you must have fights and everything. I go, no, we didn't, as a matter of fact. And that's why we were able to, to survive. I mean, Glenn and Alice and I, the first couple of years on the road, we stayed in the same room. I felt sorry for the maids that had to come in the next day and clean up one of the biggest messes on the planet. But um, but they did it. And we got to be, you know, really close. And I mean, Glenn and I never argued. Alice and I never argued. It was just always, you know, full speed ahead. And Bob fit in perfectly into that chemistry. And I, and I do use the word chemistry strongly because that's what it was all about. It was having, you know, we all fought as one. We had the general direction. First of all, when when we were all going to high school and we were getting kicked out because our hair was too long, um, and we were in college and let it grow, that that was a big commitment. Right. Back in the '60s, I mean, if you were letting your hair go long, was one thing. Like the Beatles, Stones was a whole other level. And then when I saw Brian Jones, I said, "Man, I said I can be more outrageous." than him. I still have blonde hair, and I can I can be I can wear more outrageous clothes than him. I can get my I, my hair can be a lot longer, and uh, so I mean you know we always set – lofty goals, all you had to do was just be bigger and better than anybody else. And we all had that same um, mentality, and we also had the same drive in, in, in our, our when we worked. And we worked every day. We're either recording or we're touring or we're re- writing songs every single day. I mean, we, we worked very, very hard. Right. But it, for us, it wasn't work. To so us, we were having fun doing what we love to do with our best friends. Now, I don't care what kind of business you're in, but it does not get any better than that.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because it does seem like you guys were the three amigos. And uh, I know that Alice and uh, Dennis talk a lot about them being on the track team and sometimes, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. You'd think that uh, Alice was Hussein Bolt at some point, but uh, do you think, were you in that track world or were you kind of on the outside and were you doing uh, the laser beats and and, and those bands that that were predecessors way before uh, you met Alice and Dennis?
1: Well, I'm trying to give the point. I mean, I was in the music... Way before these guys even picked instruments up, right? So you were, you were you were I mean, gigging. This is what you were my, doing. I had my first. I had my first drum set in 1961, and I'd already been playing snare drum. Uh, and I had been in in Akron. I was also involved in. Uh, there was a the Weathervane Community Theater in the Western Akron. I think it's even still there today. I'm not sure, but it was an amateur theater, and uh, <clears throat> I was in the music pit playing the drums on Three Penny Opera and the Fantastics. And again, this was back in the very early 60s, before the Beatles, before anybody. And, and that was my, my introduction and my the love that I built for theatrics and music and how to combine them together. So it was no accident that when we all started doing it and that they were, they were already, the Spiders and the Naz already wanted to be different all the time when they were on stage. And, and I was totally, totally into that even more, uh, probably even a little bit more because I had been involved in it. But then when they were in Bye Bye Birdie in Phoenix, then they got a taste of what real theater and music, the marriage between the two was as well. So we all. Bye Bye Birdie. This is the
0: first I'm hearing of Bye Bye Birdie. What was that?
1: Well, the Spiders were the were the band, was the band in uh, the, the play Bye Bye Birdie in Phoenix. It's uh, uh, um, I forget which theater, but it was a theater in the round, the first theater round, in the round. Celebrity in Theater, probably. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure which one it was, uh, right. but, uh, cause I, I mean, I wasn't there. Right. And I know, that, you know, we've talked about it many times, but um, that was, uh, I forget the name. Was it the Birdies? Was that? Uh, bye bye birdie was that the name of the band? I'm not quite sure, but uh-huh. but uh, or okay. the singer? I think it was the name of the singer.
0: Well, the but, bottom um, the bottom line is that you were you were sort of the predecessor to all this, and you sort of knew you've always been sort of the the elder statesman spokesman. You knew you wanted to bring in theatrics. Well, into, yeah, I mean
1: we all we all did it. this like all merged. That's where the together. synergy.
0: That's where the synergy yeah. came. Yeah,
1: and and I you know I was friends with him. Um, Got to know everybody because Dennis was in art classes with me. Glenn was in art classes with me. Um, uh, Vince, Alice was in art classes with So we were, you know, we we uh, all four of us knew each other. Mike Allen, even our roadie, was in classes with us. And uh, Dick Phillips, in, uh, who was sort of like our manager at the time and our spokesman. And then Charlie Carnell, who Charlie was our, our uh, friend at school, and he also was the the lighting technician for the band so we, you know that was the the early that was a genesis of everything that eventually evolved to what Alice became on a on a world uh, state on the world stage right. it all started then but 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 all of our backgrounds were similar and I just got to be friends with them and I would travel with when when they'd play around Arizona and go to Tucson some of the other towns yeah uh, I I would hang out with or somewhere I would go there. down there and, uh, you know, we would, we would leave Phoenix and go to Jack in the box and get a big giant Jack Colo and go in the parking lot, pour half of it out and fill the other half with uh, Canadian whiskey. Ah, so uh, and that was go. for our drive down to Tucson. And, uh, and I get a million stories about that stuff, but we're not going to get into that now.
0: <laughs> sure we can. <laughs> I might be drinking
1: yeah. a, uh, a, a, Jack
0: and Coke right now. I don't know.
1: <laughs> but I, but I, uh, uh I didn't, um, I didn't have to pay any fines, so that's
0: good. Let Let me ask you this, because your drumming, it just stuck out from the beginning. Whether it was uh, Naz, spiders, and then, or you know, obviously Alice Cooper group. Uh, When do you remember the first time you got a double kick set? Because that is a very big part of your identity. I feel. Yeah.
1: Well, I was um, again. It was the the, you know the British invasion, and who uh, has one? Was it Keith? Moon. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I saw his drums set at first. I said that is beyond fucking awesome, and I love I love the drums. And uh, so at that time, you knew that um, by by September of uh, 1967, I was in a band called The Holy Grail, which was like the San Francisco version of a of a band. Uh, from Tempe, Arizona.. Right. And uh, our biggest competition was the NAS, which was really the the biggest band in in Phoenix. So the NAS went to LA and the Holy Grail went to uh, went to uh, San Francisco. And our band the band broke up. Uh, I had to <laughs> I had to hawk my drums to pay rent. So I went back to Phoenix. Uh, and um, I made some money and went back to San Francisco, got my drums, then went back to L.A. because I wanted to end up, end up in a band, and Vince and Dennis and Mike and Glenn and John, the drummer from for the NAS, uh, they said I could you know, move in with them for a time in Santa Monica until I find a, a, a band to join. So, put my drums in the practice room, and while I was there, and I still don't know the details of it, you'd have to asked. I'll do some fact checking. Yeah, Dennis and and, uh, and Alice about that. I have never really cared, but John just got up one day uh and left and went back to Phoenix and quit the band while we were in Santa Monica. And we were the house band. They were the house band for the, the Cheetah at the time, and that was the fall of 67.
0: Uh, now, he so, I- Here's here's one of those questions that I know could fall later into the show of the fact or fiction, but why not? Let's get it out right now because the year is 1967. There's a Naz in the Phoenix, LA area that you that you're involved with, as well as another Naz on the East Coast with Todd Rundgren. Did you have any idea about that other Naz that was being formed? And we didn't we didn't know anything about that band until.
1: the the spring of um of 68 and i'm gonna gonna go back to you know when we we moved to santa monica right i moved to santa monica they asked me to join the band and i and i it took me a half a second to say let's see i have to play music with my best friends um yeah so i i i agreed to your drums are already set up in the room They're already there. there. (laughs) My mother and my sister moved from Phoenix to Dallas. So I didn't even have a home to go back to. I basically was homeless. I I didn't have a place to go. So that was why I had to go back to L.A. They were cool enough to let me move in with them. But uh, so we, you know, we played at the Cheetah and other, you know, clubs through the holidays. And then we went, uh, we went back to, to Phoenix. And I think I went to Dallas for that Christmas. And then we got a place in the Panga Canyon to get to your story about the NAS, and right. we moved back there early 1968. So, <clears throat> so we uh we were, we were living in Topanga Canyon, and uh, but I'm going to get to the drums first because that's that's as important to me, right? And when we lived in Topanga Canyon, we came we drove back for Easter to uh to Phoenix and spent Easter there. Uh, oh no, we spent a couple of a couple of weeks there actually to make some money because we weren't making we we made a hundred bucks a night maybe
0: in in the L.A. area. Yeah, everyone knows moment. you don't make shows in L.A. You make shows no, out, I don't yeah, make out of but, town. In,
1: but in Arizona, we can make five hundred bucks a night plus. Good. So and That's we good. can play a lot. So mm-hmm. we built up our uh, our war chest and we drove back to uh, to Topanga Canyon Good Friday, um, obviously before Easter, nineteen sixty-eight. That's when we had that terrible accident on the um, Hollywood freeway that I still don't know how we survived. And uh, uh, the the van that we had at the time turned end over end three times before it landed upside down. My drums were pretty much destroyed in that crash. So Michael Bruce, his uh, old band, The Flowers, his drummer, I believe his name was Mike, he wanted to sell his drums, which, which was a drum set that looked like Ringo's. It had that Ludwig um, black onyx. Okay. So I bought them, and I was able to do enough repair on my Rogers set that I had with the, the laser extra, beads. You an extra kick. That I, Yeah, that I got the, get the extra kick. So um, I fixed everything, had the double drums, and now instead of just having four drums, I had um, one, two, three, four, five, six Seven eight because I had two snare drums, so I had eight drums. So that was the beginning of the bass drum thing,
0: and I still have those drums. And that was probably the beginning of the big kit because one you were one of the first players that I know of to have that big kit. Yeah, well the the one the one
1: you're looking at now that was the very first time. The one before uh, before this was Slingerland was the first time that they mounted three tom toms on one bass drum. They were very much against that, and then I noticed that one of Elvis's songs in Las Vegas. His drummer had a double kit with the three. Um, this is back in the early 70s as well. Right after that, his drummer had a, a, a double kick set with the three tom toms on each bass drum, too, which was very, very rare. But um, so I even inspired Elvis Presley's drummer, which was kind of cool. <laughs> very nice. Always but nice. Uh, so it was during that time as well that, uh, <clears throat> that we. Um, Heard about the Nats? You're talking about right, right. Todd Hundley's man, yeah. And because uh, they're they're so on the, the East Na- Coast, and and like I said, on the East coast th- and they have a deal. See the deal. And, and there's the, no internet though.
0: There's no internet. There's no real social media. You have phone calls and telefaxes and whatever the hell. You had polio for Christ's sake back then. <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't even know I had polio. <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
1: but the uh, you know so, somehow we through the I mean it's like every business in the inside circles of a business, you know, word travels and things, people find out things. And this is before we met uh, Shep Gordon and Joe Greenberg, our managers. Right. So, uh, so we were, we just found out about it. We we're the NAS. They're a band. They have a, they had a record coming out as the NAS. Once that's done, forget it. Our, our name means nothing anymore. Um, even though we all you know, liked it. Uh, and so we had to come up with a new name. And uh, we could talk about that or whatever, but that's when we changed it um, right after that to Alice Cooper.
0: Yeah. And well, what, what, the I- NAS? What, 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 did was that because the rumor has it because I don't know how the East Coast NAS came up to their name. There's rumors about that, but the, you the reason even- why your guys came up with that is it was it after that birds song because I know that Alice is a huge birds fan. Probably all of you guys were birds. I don't
1: even know what you're talking about. All I know is that the oh. the, the Yardbirds. Yeah, Yardbirds, exactly. Yeah, Yardbirds. birds. Well, there was a Birds,
0: too. You said birds. I know. I, I was. I was wrong. That's it. <laughs> if there wasn't a real band called the Birds. Hold on, folks. I want everyone in the chat to acknowledge that I said I was wrong. Vic is like sitting backstage, laughing his ass off right now. But yes, I, didn't I was acknowledging you it, were wrong. Well, I. That's a
1: given. You're not wrong. No, you're not wrong. There's a band called The Birds, and I love the birds, but I even love the Yardbirds more. And they had a song called Naz Segway. I they had a song called Nazar Blue. Okay. And that's where the name Naz came from, to the best of my knowledge. I wasn't part of the band then. They were the spiders. But, to the best of your knowledge,
0: then, that was it. That was it, yes. Well, let me just tell you right now what I did is I'm gonna pull a Toby Mamus. I misspoke. That's what happened. I misspoke. I, I wasn't wrong.
1: i'm all i'm wrong all the time i shouldn't have been on this
0: fucking show ah you're doing all the right you're here for all the right reasons man we're here with neil smith original og of the alice cooper group we're uh talking some good old times i like this having this talk right before alice cooper group because you know, there, you've probably done a thousand interviews about, you know, what it was like in the Alice Cooper group. But I like hearing the stuff before. And I feel that now might be a good time just to take a quick break uh, for one of our sponsors to sort of chime in. Because the reason why you're hearing me so well is because of this microphone. The reason why I'm hearing you so well, Neil, is because of these headphones. So, Biodynamic, one of our sponsors, Vic, will you please run that? Thank you. Hello, Ryan Roxy here, host of the In the Trenches podcast. Good one. I love Hello, it. Hello, Ryan Roxy here, host of the In the Trenches What's going on, Vic? Hello, Ryan Roxy here, host of the In the Trenches podcast, and I also play guitar for Alice Cooper. I just wanted to take a second to talk about what mic you're hearing me speak through and what headphones I choose to listen to all my audio with. My go-to podcast and live performance mic is this TG V70 Dynamic Vocal Mic. And when I'm recording acoustic stuff, I'll always mic it up with the Biodynamic M160 double ribbon mic. I listen to everything with the DT1770 Pro headphones, unless I'm out and about. That's when the Aventho wireless headphones really make listening to music, podcasts, or any other audio app that's on my phone ultra high fidelity and latency free. Check out their official site or the links below in the description of this video to find out more about what makes Biodynamic a musician's choice in Pro Audio mics and headphones. Now, Let's get back into the trenches for some more rock and roll. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the ride. I hope we still have a sponsor, Mick. <laughs> that was third time's a charm on running that one. I love it. But you know what? You're making up for it with all these amazing old school picks of uh, Neil Smith and his drum kits. And we're talking drums here with Neil. But we're also talking uh, a little bit of history. But I feel maybe it's time to uh, bring it up because... To the main event and uh, what you are currently uh, got up your sleeve, because it has a little bit to do with history. Because you've been talking about um, you've been talking about writing this book for a hundred years, and uh, I want to find out uh, just what, where it's at in the state of uh, the sort of uh, process of writing the book and what it's like to write a book and what the hell is it about, Neil. First of all, I want
1: we have a special effect
0: here. Well, I like it. You got your drumsticks out right now.
1: Huh? Okay. And, and
0: this is the classic. This is the way I learned to play drums. Oh, that, that That's standard grip. That's not match yeah. grip. Yeah. Do, do you still? But, know? But, but after I saw Ringo, I went to that and I've
1: been doing that ever since.
0: So Ringo was the inspiration for match. Why, why do they call
1: it match grip? Do you know? Because it's a same. You yep. Know, because you're not holding them this way. That's not matched. Okay. This, so you're holding the sticks the same exact way, your thumbs Imagine. down the barrel of them.
0: Was it the birds or the yard birds that first did that? <laughs> it was the jailbirds. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let's talk about this book that you've been writing for 100 years, being that you're only uh, in your early 70s. I, I guess, you know, you started yeah, writing, writing it from
1: the womb. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which womb either, but um, I uh, started it probably with the turn of the millennium. Um, uh, Gail Warley, who is a, uh, she's written for um, many of the the rock magazines, and uh,
0: publicist. Uh, pardon me. Isn't Gail Worley one of the biggest publicists? And, and if I, if I'm not mistaken, is she not is she together with Ricky Bird? Is that Gail Worley? Am I wrong? Maybe. There's only one Gail Worley. She's out of New York. She's very famous. I know she's very, she's like the Bobby Fleck moment of, of uh, publicists, and you yeah, you must know good. Bobby Fleck. Um, but we started it,
1: and and then I I moved a little bit farther away. And the, the distance to, to get together is, is kind of difficult these days. Plus, after the Hall of Fame kind of got you know got busy in the last ten years, and as you know, yeah. and. Um, so we started, I'm probably uh, about, because I'm, I'm, I started it at the, our last gig, uh, our last gig, which was in South America. That's where the book starts at the, like the peak of our career. And what year and is that?
0: Is that 74? It's
1: 1974. Okay. Yeah. So, so it starts there. And then I go back to a lot of the things that we've been talking about, uh, but in greater detail and uh I'm, I'm probably i'm right up now to when uh, i'm 18 and love it to death of being released so um and i started you know then i started doing my killsmith music and uh if if i have my writing or my music to decide which to do i will always go with the music so um, that's been my main priority uh again for my killsmith project right and then um you know, Alice has used uh, uh, one of my songs on uh, the last three albums. On uh, I'll, "I'll Bite Your Face Off," on uh, that's
0: that's one of your co-writes as well as "I'll Bite Your Face Off." I, I, I did, did not you know that till I was doing the, the research for that as well. And are, yeah. and you're talking about sort of the deluxe edition CD uh, music book of the story of Smith and the Green Fire Empire. Yes, and that, yes. Yeah. Okay,
1: and, and yep, there it is there, and uh, it's actually a CD and a, and a book. With the CD, that's the exact same one. That's the book, and then the CD is on the inside, and that and this is the one that, um, uh, that my Christmas song "Noel well, No Wonder" is the uh, last song on that CD.
0: Okay, so you wrote an original Christmas song, and then and you put it out, and you can release it pretty much every year. What I did with with uh, and what we did with the RGA is we put out a Slade uh Cover of "Merry Christmas, Everybody," and uh, we just did a new twist on it, cool. a 2021 twist on it. Yeah. So, what's it like? I mean, are are you releasing it right now, or does it does every year, or does, is it just around once you record it? It's yeah, around I just, forever.
1: I just I just put it on, um, uh, I put it on my um, Facebook page, and share it with all with all the fans if they if they care to listen to it, and. <clears throat> So that's that's basically where it is. It's uh, the, the Green Fire Empire and all my Killsmith CDs are available at uh, neilsmithrocks.com in my store. And Killsmith Two, uh, that that's it um, that has a song on it. It's called Voodoo Moon, which Killsmith Two was. Uh, Voodoo Moon was the predecessor, the inspiration for All will Bite Your Face Off," and then. Um, Also on uh, the Paranormal album, "Genuine American Girl" that was a song that uh, that I had written the original version uh, of, and that was was called "Red Blooded American Girls." And actually, a a band Denison I used to have in this in the late '70s called the Flying Tigers. We used to do that song there. And then the newest album, "Social Degree," was a song that I wrote. uh,
0: Which we did on the last tour for sure. Yeah. Last Detroit stories. Yeah, and, so, and we and we just ran it on the last two, tour run that we did. So that yeah, cool. that's a that's a cool thing. There's Fly tigers right there. All right. Oh, look at that, Dennis, with his little uh, Elvis Arthur Fonzarelli hair. Even though yeah. you you couldn't you couldn't get away from the mullet, could you? You had to have it. You just had yeah, to. Have it. Uh, I'll behave. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, the thing is, this is good for for Alice, true Alice Cooper fans to know is that. A lot of people think there's this huge distance, but there's actually a lot of. Uh, you you've been around. You've been in the camp. You've been contributing, whether you know you're on stage or not. And even just a couple of years ago, when we had the the chance to tour together in in yeah. the UK, which was super fun. I wish I you know I hope we can do it again at one point.
1: Well, we can too.
0: Oh, yeah, it was a, it was a blast. But you've been involved. And um I think a lot of people have this misconception that there's this huge uh split and and it, there's there's not because we see you guys every single tour I think i've I, you know I remember to be honest with you in the early years when i was was playing with Alice there was a little bit more of a um, I was a little bit more intimidated to come up to you guys, and I think there was a little bit more distance between the lineups that Alice has. Was was putting together, but the thing is, this this lineup that we have right now is has been around almost as long as you guys were were. Uh, Probably to- longer. It might be at this point, this next year, but th- that's the thing. It's, so there's a consistency involved, and that that was a cool shot that we did uh, that show in that was, in, um, that, was that Nashville, Nashville show. Nashville, yep. Yeah, that was a good time. And there's Robin Zander right there in the middle there, next to Bob Ezrin. So yeah, um, yeah so I think it's really cool that you that, that every single album you have a, a, a contribution, and Alice respects that because we play those songs you know, your songs every single night representing on tour for years and years. I mean, I remember Bite Your Face Off was, that was Ori's uh, sort of solo uh, yeah. song with her, with him and Alice to interact. And uh, Social Debris, Alice really dug that on the last tour as well. So, um, what Well, those are the three best songs on those three albums, by the way. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I wish we could all be our own critic. <laughs> I have
1: no problem. How I know you don't. I I know you don't lack in any confidence on any level.
0: So. I love it. Well, look at that, man. Here's the thing: is is the book that you're writing and you're currently working on right now going to have some sort of musical accompaniment to it? Do you or have you thought that? I don't, I, think,
1: I don't think so. I mean, it's this, this is going to be actual novel. Uh, strictly um, uh, like a historical. Record because I do weave historical events into events that we have, so it's gonna be like a time capsule as much as anything. And, and I don't think that anything I've read, anybody's been able to really do that. And I think a huge part of what we were, and every I mean, Alice had you know, huge, I mean, in many interviews were talking about that the Alice Cooper, the band, was really a reflection of the times. And there's nothing that I ever read that, that talks about the Vietnam War and specific dates and uh, or sporting events or Muhammad Ali or Secretariat or all the big things, the other things that were happening in the world uh, outside of rock and roll, because as far as I was concerned, that was the world. That was the time that we lived in. That was an era. And all was intermingling. It wasn't just one thing. And. And when people, uh, interviewers and, or writers talk about that we were actually a reflection, the 60s was gone. Now all of a sudden, you know, there's a tougher side of rock and roll and a more expressive side of rock and roll that nobody had ever seen, that timing was huge. Nobody, I, I mean, I have to, I know we had the band, we had the songs, we could play on stage. We got our producer, Bob Ezra, we got our managers, Joe Greenberg and Chef Gordon, but the timing had to be perfect also. And not too many people talk about that. I mean, literally the end of the sixties, you know, Brian Jones was dying. Jim Morrison was dying. Jimmy Hendrix was dying. They, the, Janice Joplin, people were dropping like, I'm going, these are our competition they're, and they're dying. And I'm going, if we can just survive, if we can survive, <laughs> we might have a freaking chance. If we could just if survive we, barely. <laughs> Yeah. We, and barely was right, but then we, you know, uh, lucky enough to get a third shot in an album. And by then, you know, we knew we needed a producer, and we needed a really good one. That that's and, and 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 Bob didn't have a track record at all then. So, but it worked, and he was in his own way. You know, he's a genius at what he does, and that was a very big part of what we needed. We needed our George Martin. Right. That's what we needed, and Bob Ezrin was that personified I love and that. uh, until that. this day, he's, he's still our friend. And the reason we were never separated when the, when the band, uh, you know, split up in the mid seventies, because there was never a lawsuit. It could have been one of the biggest lawsuits. We all own the name together. So that was never going to happen. I would never let that happen. I'm not going to get in a lawsuit with my own, own friends. I mean, we were able to get together and play the, 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 at the hall of fame. And we went out to California, we did shows, we're all together, we had a great time. We recorded Paranormal, we recorded Welcome to My Nightmare and The Detroit Story. So we, you know, we stayed friends because that's more important than anything that would have happened if there would have been a fucking lawsuit. And all it would have done was make a bunch of lawyers very, very
0: wealthy. There you go. There you go. Well, the thing that I'm noticing with all these pictures that that our producer, Vic, is putting up is that there's a consistent theme because obviously we're not hearing music, we're talking, but the theme, there's such a visual. And uh, with that visual, it was a striking sort of fashion played into it. And whether you want to say it was the timing of the times, but your sister had something to do with that whole fashion and look... um, for the band how did that come about or was it you that brought her in or how how did uh, cindy end up sort of becoming um the sort of talk of 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 the fact because you've heard that before and and was it you that that were that was dressing like that before because of your sister and then you brought that you introduced it to the band or was everybody just all in it again at the same time well
1: that is a huge part. of Our image was as, as much as like I'm talking about the long hair and the outrageous, yeah. you know, the biggest set of drums on the planet. But is important that, and our clothes that Cindy was amazing. And made the more, even more importantly, or as important, is the fact that it was Cindy, because Cindy and I were always very close. And when my mother and her moved to Texas, uh, right? to Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um, and we moved to Topanga Canyon. Cindy and I wanted to be close. She, she, so she came and she had friends that lived in, in, in Los Angeles. So she moved to Hollywood. Uh, we lived in Topanga Canyon. She, she moved to Hollywood and she got a job at, a, uh, I believe the store was called uh, Inside Out or something like that, and, which was a boutique, which was a 60s boutique. And Joe and Shep had, uh, had shopped in there several times and, and, you know, and they, they look different than, I mean, they had long hair, but they look more more hip, like New York hip, than, than uh, California hip. Okay. So Cindy introduced herself, talked to him, and by this time, Zap, we had played for Zappa, and he wanted us to record an album, and uh, he wanted Herbie Cohen to be, uh, to be our manager. And I was very adamant that we needed a Brian Epstein. We needed our own manager. Andrew Love who manages the Stones, Brian Epstein, who manages the Beatles. We needed somebody that was our number one manager, their number one group. And so Cindy was talking to these two fellows, introduced herself, and uh, Shep Gordon, Joe Greenberg, and 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 they. Cindy says, "Well, what do you guys do?" And they said, "Well, we manage bands." And she goes, "Well, anybody I know." They said the Left Bank. I don't think they really. Managed the left bank, <laughs> but, but they put, we, they put it we still out don't know it until this day. Perception is reality. <laughs> um, but Sydney said, well, that's amazing because my uh, my brother's in a band. My brother, Neil Smith, he's in a band. It's called Alice Cooper, and Frank Zappa wants to sign them. And they're looking for a manager. That was how it all started. And then that's when Shep and Joe came to the Cheetah to watch us play at that show that we did that, we drove
0: everybody out of it. Yeah, is that is that studio. a true story? Again, that's one of those fact or fiction things. Did did everyone really leave except for, except Frank or how did that show well, go? Yeah, we were
1: we were, um, I mean, we were the house band, but this was a special event, and you know, our music wasn't. I mean, if if the Grateful Dead would have played or Jefferson Airplane or Quicksilver Messenger Service, people would have probably dug it and 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 what have you. I don't know if the whole place filled out, but a lot of people would,
0: would leave. It wasn't unusual. A lot of people I mean, shuffled. We were,
1: we were, you know, we were a special.
0: You weren't Janis Joplin. You weren't those. The, kind of, yeah, no, that, we weren't those guys.
1: Yeah. We weren't those guys and gals. So um, so anyway, that was how, that's who we were. And that was how it started. So segue into the fact that she's always loved uh, sewing. And again, on, on the farm, that we were in Medina, Ohio, my aunt's 500-acre dairy farm. Uh, my aunt was also a, a gifted seamstress and taught Cindy a lot of what she she. My aunt Margaret, she taught Cindy a lot of what she knew. My mother was pretty good too. So um, some sometime after we had the house and the uh, in um, uh, what I want to say uh, into Banga Canyon. Right. We uh, uh we moved to Hollywood Hills, Quebec Street in Hollywood Hills. And Cindy by that time had, I mean I had, I was in my own world so Cindy and Dennis, I think it started dating or seeing each other. But they knew By each that, other uh, back.
0: Did they know each other from back in in Arizona? Well,
1: but well, Cindy met yeah, Cindy met Dennis actually in an early battle of the bands where the Laser Beats played and the Spiders played. And, back to um, that
0: damn surfboard,
1: dude. Yeah, I know. And and uh, we, I, I think we won that battle of the bands. Of course, if you ask Dennis, he'd say he won. But right. but uh, but uh, I always had a I always wanted to be because the ring I always wanted a big big stand to set the drums on. And, uh, so it was a bit of a pain because we had to find something. And, and, uh, so Dennis was, was, um, was, was in the audience and Cindy, this is the first time I think they ever talked and Cindy was right in front of him and, and he made some comment about, Oh, that drummer. And you know, what a pain in the ass he is. has got to have that stand and everything for his drums. And Cindy turned around and said, that's my brother. And I think that's <laughs> the first time that they ever talked. But, um, but, and believe me they're the two that you have to talk to about the relationship. I couldn't be happier. I mean they they they've been great their their whole lives together. They have two beautiful daughters Renee and Chelsea and I love them to death yeah.
0: too. And we see uh, them every so, year on the on the road and we we're we're, we're we're so lucky right. when they come out right. you know they come up backstage and stuff. It's very cool the the relationship that Every, that you guys have, but like I'm saying, everybody in this Alice Cooper uh, camp and Alice Cooper mafia—it is like a family right now. It's it, you know, it can be dysfunctional at, at times, but it—I'm—it is it, I'm, it I'm every family's
1: dysfunctional, but but ours makes money doing it.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you for writing those songs again year after year because it keeps us it keeps us on tour as well. So um, right now, if you don't mind, uh, we have a little segment where. Because I don't want to, I know your time is, you don't have all the time in the world. I want to take you for as long as I can have you, uh, Neil. But uh, we're good. We're good. I have, I just have to, uh, um, no surfboard waxing or anything. All right just just don't wax your surfboard just yet because now we have questions from our fans that have actually been there were so many questions this week that I had to filter some down because uh, it's time now for let the people speak So this is where um, I put out a thing on Instagram. And, of course, if you're watching us for the first time, uh, just go on to my Instagram or just uh, hit subscribe here on the YouTube official channel. And, again, if you're watching us on audio, what are you doing? You're missing Neil Smith and his long golden locks, which we'll talk about in just a bit because this is one of the questions from one of the fans. The first one out, though, is from at Kitty Oats, And uh, it's a pretty nice uh, question. It's kind of a... Not an easy one, but uh, what is your favorite Alice, Alice track that you have recorded on? Your favorite Alice well, Cooper that'll
1: track? That'll be Alice Cooper, the band track. Yes. Um, the uh, the newest stuff I like, but I, ha- I have two of my favorites that uh, are two of my favorite songs. And one of them, uh, probably not what anybody would expect, but one of them is um, uh, My Stars of the School's Out album. Okay. I love. Playing that song, and I love that song. And the other one's "Generation Landslide" off *A of Billion Dollar Baby*. Those are oh, two of my favorite songs to play, and uh, and the drums were were uh, pretty important in both of those songs.
0: It's been so many years since we've done "Generation Landslide" in the set, and it, I've been suggesting I've been putting believe it me, in. Believe me, I've heard other drummers do it. No one could do it. it sure you it know, could. it's yeah.
1: a um, uh, it's a swing. Right. And if you don't play it as a swing, it doesn't happen. And uh, it's uh, it's it, it's a hard song to play, but it's 100 percent natural for me. And um, and the the song was probably uh, G- Generation Landslide was that song. What, Alice says a Billion Dollar Babies was written around the drum beat. Well, it wasn't. Drum beat was well, the song was written, and I added the drum beat to it. But the but Generation Landslide is all about Canary the islands. Needed our, last, needed our last song for the Billion Dollar Baby album. We were having writer's block. <clears throat> we were at that hotel that's all been known about they were building in Canary Islands. And uh, it, 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 we were having a problem. Michael couldn't come up with chords, one so was getting an idea. So um, I don't know whether I said it or somebody said, you yeah, just play a drum beat. And that's like I started that and boom, Within within 30 minutes, the song was written. That's how fast it came. And then we had, it's an old, you know, Yardbirds kind of break on it with the harmonica. Got Alice to play harmonica. Believe me, anytime I can get Alice to play harp, he's a great player and he doesn't play it enough. Yeah. I love him to play. Yeah. And I have a couple of brand new songs that we're able to do some more stuff. I, I, uh, get some harp on it?
0: Yeah, some harp on it. Yeah. Well, check it out, uh, Neil, because that's the thing. Um, Here's the deal. Then, if no one else can play it, if we ever get that opportunity again to do that original band, and then I sort of I, I get that, that sort of best seat in the house uh, to sit back there and play Glenn's parts, um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Generation Landslide in the hat to one of the, as one of the songs. All right, so we can yeah, cool. we can do it. Yeah, that's cool. I love it. So our next question at from Kofi Bach underscore um, as a librarian, I often wonder what people's favorite books are. What is your favorite book and why?
1: Well, I have two favorite authors. So I, I never do anything. I can't, don't, don't ask me one thing. Like, <laughs> ask me your favorite car. I probably have five. But um, my favorite author um,
0: uh, Ian Fleming. And then uh, the. Uh, is that like 007 stuff? Oh. Yes. Oh, there you, you are. See,
1: there you, you can are. can see the Look picture. That. That's off of uh, that's off the Kill Smith um, Sexual Savior album, and uh, that was a song called Thrill 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 Shoot to Kill, uh, and that was uh, unfortunately the, the the model and I weren't in the same shoot together, so.
0: Um, that <laughs> yeah, Photoshop. that's uh, that is all that Photoshop. Photoshop. I have the same. I have the same shot with peace, love, and Armageddon. It might even be the same model. If you yeah, put maybe. up peace, love, and Armageddon, Vic, I'm telling you, it's the same thing. Oh, you don't have that picture? Great. All you have is pictures but, of me. But I also like
1: um, the uh, the, uh, the Riker books, uh, Reacher, Jack Reacher. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the, the 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 author's name. Is the, it's in the bookcase behind me, right here. And I like him and I like his writing. First of all, they're good. They're very, very good writers. I like their style. Like
0: suspense, action, spy. Yeah. Yes. Now, let me ask you this then. Were you, did you have a lot of input with, um, um, this, come on, now I'm now I'm drawing a blank. This song we played a, a million times, the James Bond theme song, are the, the your... your uh, yeah, I'm pretty
1: sweet. No, no, not unfinished sweep, but oh, the one that's actually that was actually uh Man of the Golden Gun?
0: Yes, yes. What was that? Um da. That one uh that
1: one we all wrote together.
0: And Halo of Flies. Halo of Flies. I blanked. I did. I pulled a, I pulled, maybe I'm just getting, maybe I've had too much Jack and Co just now, but it was, <laughs> it, was it was. Halo of Flies. No, that's, a, that's an
1: oxymoron. You can't have too much.
0: Well, the thing is, I, I, I can't believe I forgot the damn song, but I've played, I would never forget it playing we because we've done it. it a thousand times. It has a very big spy theme. It has an Ian Fleming yeah. vibe to it, right? Did you have some influ- influence with that writing of that? Of course that was almost 50
1: years ago. So yeah, we all did. That's why we all got writers' credit on it. But um, that was one of those songs that uh, Alice has talked about, did us about. It. Just a, we had a chalkboard, had a bunch of ideas, we put them all together, and uh, it was it was Halo of Flies, and it, it came out that way. And that and that was just in in Alice's lyrics, uh, which again I'll always tell everybody I ever uh, do an interview with. I had my job on drums. Glenn had a job as lead guitar, Dennis, as a wonderful bass player, and Michael as a songwriter, rhythm guitar player, and occasional uh, lead guitar player. But Alice's job was lyrics, and he did a goddamn good job at it. And he still does. And I think he's one of the – I don't want to say underrated anymore because we're in the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. There's nothing underrated about that. That's true. So uh, so he is a great lyricist. Uh, and, and so many times while the band, the guitar players were tuning up, as you're – probably waste a lot of time doing that too. Only kidding, only kidding. <laughs> well, that, um, I, I, had I,
0: it, I had it to my tech and he hands it back to me out of tune. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're new <laughs> Sorry, school and, and,
1: and, you're, and you're lucky for that. But Alice and I would be hanging around, you know, working on lyrics together. So, um, but everybody shot lyrics in uh, all the time. We all, we all wrote to Glenn was the only one that really never never wrote as, as I mean, except for when a song like Halo hey, Flies or School's or I'm 18. Where we really wrote them as a put as a line a in, put a, put yeah. put an idea in there.
0: Yeah, because that reminds me of an Ian Fleming sort of production right there with that whole song. And I can't believe I forgot "Halo and Flies." And John yeah, Barry
1: was a great producer with all the all the uh, uh, the James Bond movies. I mean, and he also did um, uh, uh, Kevin Costner's uh, first movie, um, uh,
0: the Western. I, I, I just thought. I, I the heard the song though. I heard that you guys had actually had of wolves. Dances, Dances of wolves. wolves. Okay. Yeah,
1: John Barry also produced that that music. He's phenomenal at movies.
0: But what about so the song amazing. that you? What about the uh, you actually had had? W- w- was it part of that, or was that actually later years where Alice uh, Alice Cooper band or Alice Cooper maybe it might have been solo had actually submitted a song for a uh, James Bond film. Did you hear yeah, about that's that? That's of the Golden Gun." Yes, and and and, and we lost to Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! What was the reason for that? Was it politics, <laughs> Lulu politics? Well, I don't know
1: who did the movie, but um, it's English, and uh, I know a lot of you know they, they maybe they wanted an English singer. You know, so I don't I don't know and, and Lulu was pretty popular by then. But, yeah. uh, but but her song sucks and I think that um, <laughs> I don't know if this, somebody one of the fans or somebody took the took the actual uh, theme video for man of the golden gun and they put our song in there
0: and it actually worked and better
1: hundred percent cool i don't know how they made it fit i don't know I don't i'll, know I'll go find
0: did. it i'll go find it on youtube um but do you have a clip golden of that gun you can is, run right yeah, now no?
1: with our music yeah
0: i love it well we're gonna move on with people speaking and because you mentioned uh, like a lot of your contemporaries whether it was janice joplin Jimi hendrix uh and you did say Jim Morrison. we were kind of dropping off back in those years. Uh, the question is from at Torbjorn uh, Estad. Were were anyone in the group close to Jim Morrison? Was any of you guys?
1: Yeah, Glenn were, was. Glenn was probably the closest. Um, Glenn and Alice. Uh, I knew. I knew Robbie and and uh, their, their drummer John Densmore. I knew them pretty well. Um, <clears throat> but I. I mean, I met. I met Jim. He he and. Um, uh, their producer, uh, I can't think
0: of his name right off the top of my head. I don't
1: know the producer is that. Um, yeah. They, uh, they were at a seance at our house in Topanga Canyon.
0: Oh, of and, course. Yeah. Was that on uh, Tuesdays? So, <laughs> when would, when, yeah. when would you have the weekly seance or was it, was it once in a while? <laughs>
1: Whenever we had some great pot, that's when we would have it. Ah. But, um, uh, it was talk about a bizarre incident. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, so he, yeah, it was really Robbie. I I knew Bess and John, and uh, like I said, I'd met Jim a couple times. We did some shows together in in Toronto. The Rock and Roll Revival, we did. we did that show, and then uh, but but Glenn was Glenn was pretty close because Jin, his girlfriend at the time in L.A., uh, Jin was also very good friends with um, the Doors, and she was the one that that introduced us to him.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. well I, I mean I know that there's definitely a connection back in those days uh did you consider them um peers or were 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 they kind of already uh you were aspiring you know or were, w- what was the relationship dynamic between the Doors and Alice Cooper group
1: I, I told you before I have a lot of confidence and <laughs> and, and and one thing that the first first And I'm going to answer your question, but by the time um, uh, because it was back in the uh, when we were in Arizona and a couple of times in in L.A., we went to see and met Jimi Hendrix. Um, After I sat down a couple of times just with him, Jimi and I, there was nobody else that was even on the same plane as Jimi Hendrix. So everybody else to me was just a musician that had a lot of success in what they did. And the doors were, I mean, you know, Jim, Jim was out there. I, like I said, I, I, you know, I never hung out with him, but Jimi Hendrix, I I did to me, he's still a God to this day. I mentioned in my book, I said the second coolest person on this planet next to Jesus Christ is Jimi Hendrix. And, and I, he's, and I love when I hear some of the guitar players. I don't know how you feel, but I've heard somebody. whoop so great about him? I said, man, plays like nobody no, else. I saw him, I saw him four times live, and if you never saw him live, then you don't know what the fuck you're talking about because it wasn't all on record. And and, and what he did live on stage and uh, and his attitude, I learned more from him uh, than I did probably from any drummer about about attitude on stage. But um, but but. So when I met these guys, I, I mean I've never been starstruck. Jimmy was the only. But by the time I met Hendrix, you know he was, yeah, you know, he, he was just a normal person too. But, but I I never was starstruck. So you knew I, he, but I you knew that?
0: he was something special. And I mean that the, the fact that you well, were even able. Yeah, to. I
1: knew the Doors. I knew the Doors were popular. And and I did. I mean I, I was more into the British Invasion and the Beach Boys than I was ever into the Doors. I love them. I love their songs and if you did lsd i never did but i heard some people that did um in my life (laughs) that if you listened to her music it was kind of trippy so uh back in the early albums. so uh yeah i i knew who they were i knew a lot about them i liked them and uh but but john densmore never influenced me if there's a band and their drummer doesn't impress me i really don't give a shit about them that much but I love the music. It's the same as Pink Floyd. I love the music and their drummer. I mean, you know, Nick, he, he, he's good for what they are, but he but he's certainly, you know, not Keith Moon or Ginger Baker or you know, anybody in that level.
0: Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Who is who is the sort of Jimi Hendrix for you of drummers? Would it be Keith? Would it be Keith Moon?
1: No, i got to go back farther. It's
0: Gene Krupa. Gene Krupa. Ah, all right. Yeah. Gene Krupa's the, the guy. Showmanship, showmanship. All with that snare drum too, right? Right with it's that snare drum. Oh, yeah. Snare
1: drum. I mean, you know, he he uh, he he's the most impressive, always will be. And, 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 and the amazing thing, and I'll tell you, it's no secret because I know it, but the black drummers were doing all that stuff, and he was the first white drummer to ever do it. And so once he did it with the big bands in the 40s, all of a sudden, everybody go. Whoa, where's this coming from? The black dudes have been doing that stuff forever. <laughs> but, he was, but but if you look at the swing bands, it's embarrassing how lame uh, all of the the drummers. I mean, they were a glorified metronome until Gene Krupa came along. And then Gene Krupa, all of a sudden, you know, he rises way above what all the drummers were doing. But again, for I mean, he had his own style, did his own thing. But it wasn't like this just, you know, came out of the blue. He was impressed by the. The, the black
0: drummers and, and blues and in jazz. I love it. Well, you're talking about Pink Floyd and the music and, and, and doing acid, this music or that music, which leads us right next, into our next Let the People Speak question at Jackie.kawaii2. Uh, what's your favorite music to listen to now, on acid or not? And I know you're not on acid right now. You're on water. You're high on you rubber water. You <laughs> cannot guarantee that. Um <laughs> my music,
1: uh, the favorite music to listen to now i i don't you know rock really isn't around uh, that much anymore i i would say that some of the some of the um, ramstein is still one of my favorite bands
0: really See, i would from, not uh, expect that that's that's something that i th- i think a lot no, of people if you knew the the killsmith
1: stuff that's what inspired my killsmith music you know just really heavy, heavy. i can't get my guitars as. Because I play guitar in a lot of those, uh, a lot of the Killsmith uh, albums. But um, but Rammstein is amazing, uh, and their shows, and even when I watch them, there's so much stuff that I see as an influence from the theatrics that we created. Oh, absolutely. But, um, so, and I like some of the
0: grunge sound, of course, um, from uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the West Coast. Who's the singer yeah. of Rammstein? Uh, the singer. Um, I don't know their. I don't remember their name. Oh, come on. Eric. No, I don't know. <laughs> That not, was a softball. I I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pitching it up to you and of course our our chat our chat's going to get us right now. Singer of Rammstein because he came to one of our shows in it, it was Berlin, one of your favorite party cities by the way. Um, and he was so excited to have to actually meet Alice for one and yeah. and he and surprised he surprised me. He talked about the fact that he got the album his mom got smuggled the album because he was from East Germany back in the day. Right. And, yeah. uh, Till Linderman, of course, of course, Till, Till. Um, but, uh, Till came backstage and you could see how excited he was to talk about how his mom had smuggled the album into, uh, East Germany. And, um, that was his first sort of, um, connection with the Alice Cooper group. And, uh, then he hung around for three songs and left. <laughs> As you do, see you. You probably well, might do the same. How many songs would you stay at a Ramstein show? Would you stay for the whole show? I don't go to shows anymore. Hmm. That, that that leads us. That leads us to fact or fiction, right now, folks. Because you don't do a lot of things. You you don't go, uh, but you do do a lot of things. You do do the vaccine. But uh, here's one of the fact or fiction questions that we do have. It's rumored not only not going to shows but you do not own a cell phone or or have any sort of thing like that is that a fact or is that fiction
1: no i have a, i have a an old flip phone does it, all does, it can do, does it have app, all it can does it do apps is, all it can do is uh, well it's the new version it's the 4g version or whatever it is it's you don't the, have a uh, smartphone
0: that's the rumor do you have a smartphone i do not have i do not want
1: one i that I, I have no, no use for them. Fact. I don't, I, I don't take, I don't talk into my camera and I don't want to take pictures with my freaking phone. So, um, and I, and I, uh, get all my, uh, information from in the trenches, from my, from my PC and yeah. I don't get all my, you know, information from my phone. I don't want that. I don't need another thing. I eat things bigger than those damn little toys so i i don't need them and, and and a lot of people live by them and that's great but um so there it is fact to me, it's, to me it's just another another thing i can lose and i can't plus my hand i got big hands
0: oh yeah big long fingers. so uh
1: so when i push one little stupid button i p- press like three
0: so <laughs> fred I, you hoffman asks if you're still on the morse code <laughs> i wish uh, how do you morse code polio so the thing is uh, you, you don't you don't own a smartphone so when i say the word app you don't understand that that's short i never for- used an
1: app in my life i don't i don't I, you don't want to i
0: start to sound like a feminist <laughs> i won't get you started on another hot button issue like that uh, i'll no, move well, i'll, I'll I, move right on <laughs> so no, i don't i
1: mean I'm, I'm i'm not i'm not a uh uh, whatever it's not a secretary anymore, but whatever clerical person is, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a tech tarp. That's, that's yeah. what I am. I, you know, I don't, you, uh, I, I have people right. that take care of my computers. I have people as I like I have people to take care of my Mercedes. So I, you know, I don't do, uh, well, I have oh. people take care of my Bentley too. Dude,
0: do you still have the, any I, of the, Bentley, any love, of those
1: three cars? Do you still own? Uh, I have a Mercedes, but it's a, it's a big uh, SUV I have now, but right. that was a, those are and nice. That was, the, uh, was that just a nice ones.
0: photo shoot, or were, or were those actually your cars at one point? Vic, can They're you put that cars. photo
1: back up? And Mike, I had and I had uh, two more also, but it aren't in there. I had a, I had a, a 1961 Rolls Royce uh, Silver Cloud, and I had a 1929
0: Phantom One. You were the James Bond of rock and roll. You are the James Bond of rock and roll. What am I talking about? There you go. All right, but I'm moving on to more fact and fiction questions um, because this is another guy that I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty much influenced by. I just played a song uh, a couple weeks ago at Alice Cooper's Christmas Pudding, a little 20th century boy. Uh, rumors has it that Mark Boland played somewhere on Billion Dollar Babies. Is that a fact or fiction? He
1: was in the studio um, trying to... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh he was trying to he was trying to tug Keith Moon into joining a, a band, starting a band together. And I thought that was the worst fucking idea I ever heard in my life. Alice and I were sitting in the booth at the um you probably know the the, the whole the uh the studio we were working at in London on Billion Dollar Babies. I forget the name. Okay. Morgan Studios. Okay. The Morgan Studios had a full bar in. And, well, that's uh, and a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought so too. <laughs> and and so uh, that was that night we had the big big jam with. Um, uh, so, and it's been photographed and it was actually Donovan was here. Donovan
0: there or whatever well Donovan
1: wasn't Donovan was in the studio recording um, uh, what is it, Electric Wheels or something like oh, that. yeah right. his his album across the, 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 the studio B was across the street we were in studio A. And, uh, and Keith, it was Alice and myself, one side of the booth and Keith and um, uh, T-Rex boy, with Mark Boland, uh, sitting in the other side of the booth. And he, I'm sitting in the, and Keith was told he didn't know where he was, first of all. And. Could have been uh, on the moon. Was, yeah. For he all was he knows. Not, he was, I think he's past the moon, but, uh, but I, I, I'm sitting there in this conversation. I can't think of a worse combination thinking of t-rex and the who with Mark Boland's guitar and Keith
0: playing drums with that. Is Mickey I Finn still was- gonna play percussion <laughs> because how's that gonna work <laughs> man that, that was the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life but but
1: uh, mark never never played a note on the album while you know while I was in the studio so uh, I I think that was a, that's a made-up Okay,
0: so there it is. Right. There's a little bit of a, a, little, so it's a little bit of fiction in there. I love it. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I have one last factor fiction question and then a, a couple more things to run through and then uh, well, then we'll, we'll obviously get people going on. Well, they have a big weekend ahead. It's a big big Christmas weekend. This is sort of our yeah. Christmas show. I appreciate having uh, having you on the and your nickname. Where did that come from? Which one? Well, the 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 one that's the bigger, okay. What is your favorite nickname that people have given you? Well, there's only there's only two, and that's octopus and platinum god. Platinum god. The octopus was was more of a a thing of just a, like a visual thing of when you played drums. And and who actually say who came up with that sort of thing? Was it Bob Ezra? Well, if you
1: go if you go back to the Sexual Savior album, you just showed the picture of the James Bond where I had the machine gun between the girl's legs.
0: Yes. In that
1: same album, there's a picture of me with eight arms, and that was that was inspired
0: by. Um,
1: by the it's more octopuses. like an
0: Indian god, not a platinum god. <laughs> I don't. Yeah,
1: but I don't know how many octopuses are in India, but uh, I know what you. I know what you're. In an octopus's garden, maybe I don't know. I know, but the um, uh, that just, I don't know that just it, it, it just sort of appeared one time in an article or something, and. And then over the years, people have you know thrown that out once in a while. And then I don't know where this thing was. It I, I did a drum solo, and it sounds
0: like an octopus falling out of a tree. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's. <laughs> that's a an amazing quote—an octopus <laughs> falling out of a tree, because the visual is perfect. I, I love it. But platinum God does suit you more after talking well, with platinum, you. Now. God, platinum
1: God was because of the, the the story and the title of my first solo album was called Platinum. And it wasn't, wasn't about me, but it was about, uh, it's a size. I was reading all the books about Bermuda Triangle and um, chariots of the gods yes. at the time. And I wrote a couple of songs and, and the platinum God was actually the spaceship that lands on planet earth, but it lands on very, very primitive tribes thousands of years ago. And so they see this big platinum disc out in the desert or you know wherever it landed. And the creatures, whatever they were that came out of it, were all platinum gods. So that was, the, that was where the title came from. But um, if somebody wants to, because I have five platinum albums, they want to associate with me and my four best friends. That's, that's That fine. sounds
0: fine. And, of course, these long platinum locks. You know, there was actually a question from one of the fans. Uh, she was going to ask, uh, are, you a, are you a natural blonde? That was from Baroque Princess. You do you really, really want my answer? No. I do not. That's why I didn't ask it before, but I felt I had to. But then you opened the door. No, of-
1: I, no. I, I had uh, uh, my hair gotten a little darker over the years, but um, I haven't, uh, I haven't touched it in over over two years. But um, all the go. pictures you see of the of the uh, uh, original, you know, the, back in high school and the early the early band, no, I never touched. I was I was blonde uh, when I was
0: a young child. Well, f- speaking of being a young child, uh, this is my last Factor Fiction question for you. Have you have you ever performed Neil Smith as a solo singer? Factor Fiction.
1: Yeah, you know I have. I think <laughs> There's a band called
0: fact. a band called Cloth of Cloth of Many Colors. That sounds yeah, like friend. something you'd have as as a as a teenage boy. <laughs> not a good cloth. You don't want that one.
1: Well, well, that's another biblical term. <laughs> okay, I got so, Jacob and the cloth of and the coat of many colors.
0: Okay, right. so I probably just went sacrilegious on you. Sorry about that. So so you did. You, now that was the name of the band. How, how would be my name. That's not sacrilegious. <laughs> so
1: um, so I yeah we uh, we did two shows. We opened for the
0: Naz. Which was and, Alice and and Dennis at yeah, the time. Yeah, was all the guys
1: yeah. of the John Spear, the drummer. And uh, because I, I had mentioned I traveled with him, I was going to mention it before, but you're bringing it up. So I uh, I always uh, with the British invasion, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I I always pretended to be a singer, and and I would sing a lot of songs as playing my albums and records and everything. I was in bands playing drums, but you know but that'd be cool. So. And when the laser beats and the night Riders, uh, laser beats broke up, um, Roger Reich, who I uh, was on the bike riding 100 miles an hour down Black Canyon Highway. I remember Phoenix, that guy. And our guitar player, Skip Ladd, uh, we, um, uh, uh, Roger by that time played bass guitar. And, and Skip played lead. And actually, I believe it was uh, Mike, the guitar, uh, the drummer. I used to work with Mike Bruce and the flowers that I bought the drum set from. I think he played he played drums in that band, the Cloth America. So I was actually a stand-up singer, and we only did two shows. And we were doing like um, some Yardbird song, uh, the Nashville Teens, um, from the British Invasion. Uh, I, I, I don't know. So I was playing harmonica and singing, uh-huh. and. And did, the, did you
0: did end, you did Alice play harmonica before uh, before y- you
1: guys oh met? Yeah. He played, yeah, with all the yardbird stuff, he played all the yardbird stuff, and and uh, they would do a couple of um, uh, I think um, Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Oh, he loves that. Yeah, yeah,
0: he loves that. Yeah, I was play harmonica
1: on that, and because the Paul Butterfield Blues Band was really big, Holy Grail did, did a couple of their songs too, and but anyway, so we did the, these couple of shows in some small towns we so were and, the lead singer, yeah, and I was the lead singer of the band, stand-up singer and sang. But at the end of the show, I went over and I knocked the drummer off and did a drum solo. So <laughs> I knocked the drummer off the seat and did a drum solo. So it, I, I couldn't get the drums out of my out of my soul. And there's of so
0: seat. many lead singers that have been drummers, the, you know, the, the, so many drummers that go on to be lead singers. You know, I yeah. I find that in a lot of the interviews that we do. Well, uh, there's another there's another point. That and, and I'm glad you bring it up because so nobody's ever
1: talked about this. I think everybody in a band is always envious about somebody else in the band. It's like the bass player wants to, you know, be a guitar player, the guitar player wants to be a bass player, the drummer wants to be a singer. Uh, somebody wants to be, you know, there's always somebody that wants to be, you know, nobody another... wants
0: to be the keyboard player. <laughs>
1: Sorry, That that it's... is an interview for a whole other. <laughs> Hour and a half until um, we until we get Derek <laughs> I know Sherinian well on. do not have a keyboard player at this particular <laughs> junction either. But uh, no, they they're they're techies to the max. I, they always I mean they're brainiacs. They're they have more talent than anybody else in the band as far as anybody else I ever know. I mean they, the keyboard players are amazing. I I know basic. I taught myself. I listened to Fats Domino's greatest hits and I taught myself how to play piano on the black keys. And, nice. um,
0: so that's, that's, you know, keyboard players are a whole other story. So last question, like when, when the laser beats did break up finally, um, who got the surfboard? That was my surfboard to begin with. So you weren't giving it up for anybody. Nobody even wanted it. After I don't know that. what happened.
1: You know, when, when, uh, when I left home with the, with the Holy Grail and ended up in Los Angeles with the NAS, yeah. um, my mom, like I said, moved, moved to, to Phoenix, Texas. And, so so and, that, that surfboard's Texas. missing. Well, somewhere in there that Cindy might know, but I have no clue. I also, I had a, I had a Volkswagen bug.
0: (laughs) I don't know what happened to that either. I owned a bug as well. I owned Mm -hmm. a convertible bug and I had long purple hair in Los Angeles and everybody used to think I was a chick or at least people above because everybody's, everybody's above you when you're driving in a bug, right? Oh yeah. Well I
1: had, then, then I had after my divorce and I uh, had to get rid of several of my cars um, I, uh, I I got a, a Volkswagen convertible Super Beetle, but it had the Rolls Royce
0: grill on the front of it. I remember those. I remember those it was, well. It was,
1: it was yellow and, be- <laughs> and yellow and black. It was like a bumblebee, and then it had the Continental kit on the back. Uh,
0: they, I think they actually even made a thing with the R- Rolls Royce front as well. Remember the the VW yeah, really, thing? They had, they had a couple of different cars. Oh did. boy. Oh boy! Yep. But that's for another episode as well. So uh, let's uh, let's let's introduce our fan of the week this week, and we have one more order of business before we let you go, Neil Smith. This is the original OG of the Alice Cooper Group, Neil Smith. He's been with us our entire podcast. Thank you very much. This we will say is our Christmas special. But next week uh, we will be taking off. That's the reason why. And then the week after that, we will have some announcements about a special New Year's Eve show but uh, again that's way far into the future right now all we have to do is celebrate the fan of the week but it's not the fan of the week vic who is it fan of the week this week is replaced by fans of the week because folks it's all the fans of the week that contributed to our merry christmas everybody single that is out right now which you guys are going to put on uh and you're going to go and check out as soon as this podcast is over that's right it's fans of the week everybody that contributed to our merry christmas christmas cover thank you very much folks we really appreciate it and uh You know, we appreciate you, Neil, being on the podcast. Um, There are a lot of people that have been chiming in all throughout the whole uh, live chat. They want to know how to get more in touch with you. And being that you don't have a smartphone or uh, ever have used an app, uh, how can they get in touch and find out more about Neil Smith? Tell them, please. Well, first of all, uh,
1: you've got, yeah, right there, neilsmithrocks.com. That's my website I'm having it totally rebuilt right now, but uh, the my original website is still available. And then Nailsmith Rocks on uh, Facebook also. That's the best way to get a message to me. There's a there's a fan um, inquiry, questions, whatever, on uh, my website. All
0: right. So no Twitter, no Instagram, uh, no TikTok. <laughs> Think give no. you a TikTok. No, I don't like people. I love it. I'm it. kidding. I'm kidding. Our, I love our fans. Well, you know I, what? You know, you, they've loved you, Neil. They've they've well, they've held through, and uh, hopefully, we will be uh, crossing paths again. Obviously, we'll cross paths at some shows in 2022, but I hope to uh, cross paths with you again on stage because that was so killer when we did it in the UK. You no? Know? Oh,
1: that was great. We appreciate that. And in, in uh, Tennessee, and Nashville, too, the shows that we did there was was awesome. You're, you're a great guy, great guitar player. We love you. And uh, so uh, happy to be part of the whole family together. With
0: guys. Well, thank you very much, Neil. And uh, I want to thank Cindy for uh, giving us a lot of uh, insight and some information on the script as well. And as always, thanks to everybody for watching In the Trenches, our uh, production team. Everybody, enjoy your Christmas. Uh, what do you got going on for the holidays, Mr. Neil? Anything happening? Uh-huh. Yes,
1: me and Santa. <laughs> it looks, something- I think that's it. Uh, me and Santa are going to be just uh, kind of hanging out and uh, playing pool, drinking some eggnog, getting ready to uh, move west for the winter in January.
0: Ah, where, uh, smart! Where man. some of my
1: friends hang out out there. I love so, it. So I'm looking forward to seeing Michael
0: and uh, and Coop out there. Ah, good. All right. Well, well, maybe we'll see out there all three of us again. Four of us. Um, check it out there, Neil. Um, one last thing I'll ask everybody I ask uh, that comes on the show and you seem to have a lot of knowledge. Uh, you know, you survived polio and uh, you've made it from Akron all the way back and forth, West Coast, East Coast, all over the world. Uh, do you have any words that you live by, any sort of um, words that you, wisdom that you can pass on to our listeners?
1: Well, I'm often asked <clears throat> about musicians because I'm a musician, even though I was in real estate for a while, I'm a musician. But um, the things to think about and advice and I, and the, that I've always lived by and, and from all the superstars that I've met in my life, never intimidated by but influenced by, is the fact that uh, I, I sort of live by the code or the rule of the triple count, crown of rock and roll. And the first part of that crown is to uh, master your instrument. Know what you're doing. Play it. Learn it. If it's a drums, learn all the rudiments inside and out. Know everything about it, history, and everything. Second of all, write your own songs. And number three, master... The stage. Be yourself on the stage. Don't do what anybody else has ever done before. Be yourself. Be true to yourself, and give everybody something they've never seen before. And if you follow those three rules, you'll have a good start. No guarantees in rock and roll. Timing is huge. We talked about that. But love you all. Thank you for your support over the years. Thank you for your support. And helping us get into the Rockwell Hall of Fame and uh forever, I love uh Glenn and Michael and Dennis and Alice, they're my three, my four best friends and
0: family. Well, Neil Smith, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, Hall of Famer Neil Smith, original drummer of the Alice Cooper Group, uh, there he is, Platinum God. Uh, those three words and those three sort of uh, keys to some success, whether you're a musician or not. Uh, Take the rewind button. Go listen to him again. And again, Neil, thanks for coming on the podcast. I hope to see you real, real soon. Enjoy Christmas. Enjoy the new year. Everybody out there, thanks for watching. Thank you, Neil. Happy Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. Until next time, enjoy the ride. Have a good one, guys. In the Trenches
1: with Ryan Roxy. Hello.
0: Moby, give him his guitars back. Those are really great things that you said at the end, dude. Thank you, man. That was, that, I mean. My- you know,
1: I, I, thought, I thought long and hard about that a long time ago because, you know, people have asked that sort of thing and they go, you know what? There's got a the triple crown is such a relatable thing. Triple crown. It's I like it. E- it's, it's not an easy thing. Yeah. Well, it's well, very, very difficult. But if you can accomplish those things, then you get a little
0: bit of luck in there. No, the timing thing is—is is you're so right with the timing thing, but at the same time, the, you have those three things in your L, in in your back pocket because I think too many people leave one of those out.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, that's why they're all important. Yeah. And that's as I said. That's, it's no guarantee, but that's the foundation for you know where you possibly can go. Not any anybody. I think of her name as a superstar, and in they. In the, they write their own song. They're great on stage. and master their instrument. Have those three elements, and that's that's pretty bottom line, pretty basic, but very important.
0: Well, I mean, I could have gone on for hours and hours, but I appreciate you taking the time that you did, and uh, I think that's a good length for everybody. And who knows, maybe uh, great yeah, when we uh, when we maybe later on the year when when that book when you do have that book coming out, we can do some more promo on it and stuff. Talk about it, okay. and Vic, thank you, partner. Hey, thank you. I was, it was great to meet you, and you too. thrill. We'll see you right. again. We'll see you out there, man. You'll probably see Vic taking shots. He takes amazing shots. So, you know, next we'll, time we're out there, we'll uh, we'll definitely have him snapping some shots. All. Next, time, <laughs> next time you guys, the OGs, play, I definitely want to be there. I I should have been at that Nashville show, and I just convinced myself not to go. That was don't poke yourself in the
1: nose with a drumstick. It's very dangerous. That,
0: that yeah. should have been your other piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. I that's mean, especially. It's just like both Crowley.
1: nostrils. It could be dangerous. <laughs>